What are the four must-have estate planning documents that you need? In this episode, we will cover wills, powers of attorney, and distribution of personal property. This is the Lady Lawyer League podcast, Omaha's leading lady lawyers, empowering women to be legal savvy. Hosted by Susan Ruff and Tracy Hightower-Henny of Hightower Ruff Law. Welcome back to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. Tasha Haviken is here with me again. Yeah. I'm so lucky. Very lucky. I'm happy to be here. Uh, we're going to learn all about estate planning documents you can't live without. <laughs> <laughs> pun, yeah. Pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> um, all right. So we talked a little bit about estate planning um, and probate on our last episode. So yes. if you missed that, make sure you go and check it out. Yes. But these documents that you can't live without, well, you can live without them. You shouldn't die without them. That's a good, better way to say it. Okay. And they it really kind of goes hand in hand with what we talked about in our last um, podcast. You know, you do the planning so that when something does happen, we already, we're not, we're not like surprised by what's going on. So these are the documents that really make up the estate plan that we're going to talk about. Yes. 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 Um, okay. So will... Yes, that's probably the most common one that people think of. The the fancy or long term is the last will and testament. Oh yes, kind of an in scrolly letters. letters. Yes, kind of antiquated. Although ours now, the way we do ours, they're it's very modern. I always get confused when I just say will, like in a document. You know, if you're typing out something like Jody had a will on at the time of her death, and I'm like, what? Who's will? Because you capitalize will. <laughs> yes. Yes. When it's all by itself. So, oh, so if we just use last will and testament, it's very clear that we're not talking about a person named Will. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Okay, so wills. So a will is a document that you sign, and it's going to control the stuff that you own at the time that you die. And that's only going to be stuff that is in your name with and isn't already... Uh, benefiting someone else. So like, for example, life insurance policy that has beneficiaries on it, that's not going to be controlled by your will because it's going to go to the beneficiaries that are already on that policy. But if you own your house and there's no beneficiaries on it and no joint owners, then the house would be controlled by your will. So whatever you put in the will for who gets it, that's who gets it. Can you just have pretty generalized statements in your will like, I don't want anything to go to, and I better not say someone specific, like, I don't want anything to go to Joe Schmo. I mean, I, I didn't want to say like, I don't want anything to go to my brother, because then if he listens, he's like, what the hell? <laughs> so I don't want anything to go to Joe Schmo, and that could be your will, and then someone has to like interpret it and figure it out? You could write that. I don't know that I would recommend it. Maybe it, on LegalZoom you write that. Yes. That's legal Zoom sentence. <laughs> or you can say, like, I want everything to go to Jane Doe. Yes. So typically when you're having someone draft your will or if you're doing it on your own, you don't um, you don't put in the will, my three bracelets go to this person and my painting of a dog in a prairie goes to this person, you know, like your random stuff. It's more like your estate is like this big pot of stuff and most like a melting pot kind of yeah mm -hmm. and so you're kind of talking about 
you know, the majority of what's in this pot is going to be your money, right? So even if you own a house, we're really talking about the equity in the house, right? How much is it worth? So then if you're saying, so let's do easy math stuff because yeah, math is hard. So let's say we have a house that's worth $300,000 and we have $300,000 in cash and we have three children. Okay, so, so there's 600,000, so they should get 200,000 each. If you're splitting it equally. I almost needed a calculator. Right, Okay. No. Um, so if you're splitting it equally, you would say in the will, you would say, I give, devise, and bequeath the rest residue and, my, and remainder of my estate to my three children in equal shares. And then the personal representative or executor, whoever you appointed, would collect all of the assets and that person would say, okay, we have $600,000 in assets and the will says everything goes equally. So each kid is gonna get $200,000. Is there any board game like this? I feel like, because as you, as you were saying this, I was picturing Monopoly and I was like, no, that's not it. And then I was sort of picturing like life because at the end you retire and sort of, but is there any board game that's like this where someone dies and then there's a personal representative? No, I think you're, I think you're onto something. I know, like I feel like I have this thing, it's not really a thing of mine, but I think that the things that we do as children become our real adult jobs, right? Like all the little kids that play with Tonka trucks or the road graders, trucks, you know, maybe they're road grading or the ones that like to play in the kitchen, they like to bake. And like, I like to play office, literally. Did you like to argue as a kid too? Yeah. Yeah. But like the board, yeah, there's not a board game for like inheritance tax. I, I just feel would like- Would play it? We would play it. Oh, that's a little depressing. I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like I really liked the game of life and I think that's why now I feel like I'm pretty good at life because I- Because, yes, because you played the game of life. Yes, right. Hmm. So I think maybe life is the closest. Probably. Because you cash out at the end. Yeah. But you're you're not dead. There needs Sorry. to be like a life version two, where it's like afterlife, and then you're yes. cashing out, and you're there's a personal representative in your car. Yeah, we could make a board game called Inheritance. Yeah, I think we should copyright it. We should like board game people are millionaires, right? You just declare that. You know how they like. Yeah, I'm declaring Mike it right now. If anyone takes the idea. It's already copyrighted. It's like Michael Scott in the Office. I declare bankruptcy. And then the accountant guy is like, you can't I didn't just watch the office. Oh my god. I know. And then the accountant guy comes in and he's like, Michael, you can't just declare it. And he's like, but I stood on my desk and I declared it. <laughs> I declare bankruptcy. And he's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, board game. All right. Um, so, All right. So the, we have $600,000. Personal right. representative collects it. We're on a board game. But to your question, though, about can I say, Joe Schmo doesn't get anything, right? So under drafting sort of rules and, and laws and how the cases have worked out in terms of how the law has interpreted wills, you have to specifically disinherit somebody if you want to do that. So let's say we have we have Joe, Jimmy, and Susie as our three kids. If mom is saying- And Joe is Joe Schmo? Yeah, okay. and mom is saying, Joe sucked as a kid, we don't wanna give him anything. Her will would say, I have three children, um, I intend to benefit, I already forgot the other two's Susie name. Susie and? Jimmy. Paul, yeah, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I specifically intend to disinherit Joe. Like you need to You have to declare it. Yes, uh -huh. yes, in writing, not just out in 
in words. Okay. So you would specifically indicate that in your will, and then your will would treat them as having predeceased you. See, in this board game of life, you would be the kids trying to keep your mom happy, and then she's over here on like a secret card saying, "Mm -mm, I am disinheriting Joe, and then as you're going along in the game of life, Joe needs to be nice to his mom, and then she'll take that away. That's right. Yeah. Because people change their wills a lot. Oh, yeah. I have this great story about this lady. She would call me every six months or so, and she'd say, Tasha, I need to make a change. And I'd say, okay. And I remember this one time she calls me, and she says, Tasha, I want to take, I want to take Patty out of my will. And I was like, okay, I can do that for you. Well, do I have to tell her? And I said, nope. You don't have to tell yeah, her. Yeah, you need to call her first. Let me know that you've told her and then right. call me back. I'm like, no, you don't have to tell her. I'm not going to tell her. And she says, okay, well, I want you to write in there that Patty's out of my will and she knows why. <laughs> and and said, you did, right? Yep. I said, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But then definitely. she's made it clear. Yep. Patty ain't getting shit. Yep. The only person that you cannot disinherit is your spouse. Because even if I put in my will my husband's lazy and all he does is drink beer and watch football and therefore he gets zero dollars you should have divorced him right but let's say i didn't do that um he can say well that's all well and good but i'm going to elect against that will and i can get half so as a spouse you're always entitled to half of somebody's estate so on that note of um your client who disinherited patty how often should you refresh your will I usually send out a letter to clients every two years just saying, hey, make sure you review your stuff and it still looks the way that you want it to look and the people you've put in the jobs that you've given. Do you given. have any patties right. in your life? Right. Did you win any money, inheritance, Powerball? Yeah, that kind of stuff. I really thought I was gonna win that $2 billion. <sighs> I, I did, I, I mean, the $40 that I bought the tickets, I was like, certainly one of them right is the two billion dollar winner i don't even think i've ever won more than like two dollars playing any sort of i won a hundred dollars one time and i think that was two numbers plus the powerball and my husband and i were eating at ihop we never eat at ihop (laughs) and then i was like let's look at these powerballs and i was like whoa actually maybe it was three numbers in a powerball and I was like, do you think they're gonna give us $100 like at the gas station down the street? And I'm like, I don't know, let's go ask. So we go in there and like, here's your hundred bucks. Nice. So yeah, hundred bucks is it. That's uh, the highest. I did win, I think I made like 200 bucks one time playing blackjack at a casino, but that's like the most I've ever won. Only 200? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we need to go play yeah. again. But I feel like you got to be willing to lose a lot to win a lot. and. I'm a weenie when it comes to stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, or I could just buy some new jeans and then I just have them still. <laughs> um, all right. The other two kind of go together um, are the power of attorney. So you have a durable power of attorney for healthcare, and you have a financial power of attorney. Yes. So typically two documents, they do some of the same things in terms of, you know, as a general rule, basically you're picking somebody to make decisions for you if you can't for yourself. So I... So you're still alive. Correct. Yeah. Powers of attorney only work so long as the person is alive. So I do a power of attorney and I appoint you as my agent. So then that means you can under the I always think of like someone with sunglasses on, like the black jacket and they're like walking around like, this is my agent. For some reason, I always think of Inspector Gadget. Oh yeah. (laughs) As the agent? Yeah. Was he an agent? 
private investigator, I think, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So not the same He was thing. an inspector. Yes. Go, go, gadget arm. I know now with the Apple Watch, I'm always like, oh, Inspector Gadget, because yes. that's totally what it was. That was. Um, so for the healthcare power of attorney, by statute, it's always springing. And so what that means is that you maintain the right to make your own healthcare decisions as the person who signed the document, so long as you're competent. So the doctor feels like you're understanding what's going on, you're able to make your own decisions. But if at any point the doctor says, okay, Tasha doesn't know what's going on, she doesn't understand. And so under her healthcare power of attorney, Tracy is her person. So then you at that point would step in and decide whatever questions they were asking. And at the point that the doctor says, Tasha no longer knows what's going on, Tasha better have had a medical power of attorney already in place because now she doesn't know what's going on and can't put one in place. Right. And that's, I think, the problem that we always see in our office. Yes. And then what has to happen? If you don't have a power of attorney, our only option is to go to court and get a guardianship, yeah. which is a court proceeding. Costs a lot more money, a lot more Way more, more headache. Yes. Reports you have to file. Right. And there's so many times where people will call and they'll say, my grandma, my mom, whoever, um, you know, she doesn't understand what's going on now, so we need to get her a power of attorney. And it's just like you said, at that point, it's too late. Yeah. We can't, she can't sign anything. It's not going to be enforceable. Right. So. Yeah, she doesn't know what's going on. Who's she going to sign? Right. Yeah. Right. So, Joe Schmo. <clears throat> Joe Schmo. Patty, she, not Patty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Patty's out. Um, and so kind of by the same token, you have this financial power of attorney. So that person can make decisions for things like your bank accounts, your um, money that you have invested, if you need to change that, if you need to liquidate it, you know, sell your house, all those kinds of things. And this is what we talked about in the last episode where it's, uh, an alternative to naming someone on your bank account with you, having a financial power of attorney avoids all the problems of that. Right. Yeah. What's kind of interesting, or uh, I don't know if tricky is the right word, but a power of attorney for finances, you can have two different kinds. So you can have a general one that's like, as soon as I sign it, it appoints you to do things for me, regardless of my capacity. So I could be perfectly fine, but I could be in china somewhere and my tax return needs signed you it's could, not in europe i know okay i'm in paris i don't know <clears throat> and um i'm in iceland right yes That's iceland to go iceland um and my my tax return needs signed and for whatever reason i can't do it if you have my power of attorney you could sign it for me right and that's just that's a general durable power of attorney it has nothing to do with my capacity it's just i've given you that power as opposed to a springing one, which is like the healthcare one. So we sign it now, but you only have authority once a doctor has said, Tasha doesn't understand what's going on. You know, she's gonna give all of her money to the guy in Jamaica that's emailing her 17 times a day. <laughs> right, so right. that kind of thing. The Jamaican prince. Yes. <clears throat> um, so who should someone consider to be their power of attorney? Um, I would say the most common that you see for married people is that you would choose your spouse first. I'm kind of a... You would think. Well, you would think. <laughs> um, I'm kind of a belt and suspenders kind of person, so we want to keep those pants on. So we have a first person, and then we'll name a, a secondary and maybe even a third. Do you need a belt and suspenders to keep pants on? 
That's my point. It's safer if you have both. Oh, like in case the suspenders break or mm. the belt breaks. Hmm. Okay. So I say belt and suspenders so that we make sure if for whatever reason that first person can't serve, yeah. we have somebody to step in. Because otherwise, if we have a power of attorney, but we only have one person on it and they can't serve. And they're dead. Then we're still they're in incompetent. Court. Yeah. Right. So usually you'll see a spouse, depending on how old the person is, um, after that, like people that are your and I's age, I, I see where they'll appoint a parent to be the second person after their spouse. Um, I see a lot of siblings. Um, in a few cases, if people have really close friends who are in the medical field, I, I see that a lot too. Um, if you're an older person, usually adult children, and then the question becomes, if you have four kids, like who do you pick? Um, you know, typically with the healthcare power of attorney, you only want one person at a time because if you've got two kids and they don't agree, yeah. then we're still in court arguing about what path is the best. So you really want to try to narrow it down and pick one person. So it's someone that you trust. Yes. And maybe on the medical power of attorney side, someone that maybe kind of understood your thoughts about medical care. Right. Like, well, she would have never wanted to remain in a coma for the rest of her life. So do something different. Right, right. Or, um, I mean, even like, I'm trying to think of some random ideas. Like, let's say that you had, were ill and then you developed like an infection in your leg and then you went into a coma and the question was, should we amputate, right? right. I mean, that's kind of a random example, but it's things like that, right? Or. A lot of times I give the example, let's say that you went in for some type of a routine surgery and you're under anesthesia, so you're not competent to answer questions. And while they're in there, they find something else. And rather than waking you up and getting permission to perform this extra procedure, they could ask your power of attorney and say, hey, we found this other thing. Should we go ahead and do it? Here's the risks, here's the benefits, right. that type of thing. Yeah, so someone that you trust for sure. Yes. Definitely. And then the fourth document of an estate planning document that you can't live without is a memorandum of disposition of tangible personal property. That is a mouthful. It is. It's what basically is like it's your your stuff, your the stuff you can hold, right? Like this cup. The three thousand dollar couch. Yes. So like let's say that this was like the most magnificent cup ever that it you're, is. It's a high tower well, mug. It is. Cheers. I've told you about my mother-in-law who's like obsessed with our cups and she has all of them well her favorite one is the black one that's yeah. like the globe and I think this is our fifth generation is it mug yeah well she has and it's at her house and she drinks her coffee out of it every morning that's wow. her favorite cup and she whenever we all go and stay there she's like nobody better be using my cup or taking it she's very <laughs> particular about it but um so it's like the stuff that holds a lot of sentimental value. So I had a case one time where it was two sisters that weren't getting along and there was an attorney on the other side and we worked well together. Um, but they were, and the mom who had passed away had a lot of stuff in the house, lots of stuff. So we were or arguing over things like empty hat boxes and you know all that kind of stuff. And so when you have a person who has a lot of things that have sentimental value if you can write it down and so then your will has a section in it that says okay my personal property which is your stuff the stuff you can actually hold on to um 
I'm going to distribute that based on a memorandum. And so that will be incorporated into my will. And then that allows the client to fill it out at a later date. So they don't have to do it in my office. And the nice thing is, is if they change their mind, they don't have to come back to talk to me. They can just mm-hmm. rip it up and do a new one. So like I use, um, you know, like I had a family member who had a fair amount of jewelry that she had. And I said, well, use these memorandum sheets, take those little Polaroid camera things, right? Take a picture so that you know what necklace they're talking about, put it on the sheet and put who it goes to. And then you date it and sign it. And then that way, let's say 10 years down the road, maybe that that family member, well, now she's got a bunch of granddaughters. So maybe she wants to change it and give the granddaughter something instead or whatever. You can move the picture around. Right. Yeah. And so um, it's just, it's a way to, because frankly, that's, I mean, money is, money changes people, right? But also the the stuff with sentimental value is people get really hung up on that kind of stuff. And if you can have a plan ahead of time, I had a lady one time, this was kind of interesting. She had me write her will for her tangible personal property where um, at the beginning, each child would have a, di- a dice and they would have to like roll the dice and whoever had the highest number got to go first. This and, is a board game. Right, yeah. kind of, yeah. And so whoever had the highest number got to go first and like there you had to pick somebody, something for one of the people in their family and then the next family got to go and then it kind of went in a circle. The, like the mom was still alive? No, this would be after she's Oh, gone. so she explained this process in her, in will. her will. Wow, I like it. Because mm-hmm. she had a lot of like artwork and like fancy vases and stuff like that. I think she should have been like, after my death, you all have to play life. Yeah, And if you get however many kids you get in your car, those are the amount of items you can pick from the list. I had another client one time who owned a, um, like a restaurant. It was a small town, like a restaurant place. And it was, had a lot of like stuff on the walls and just like knickknacky things. And she had me put in, she says, well, when I pass away, I want everybody to come to my restaurant and everybody drink and eat. And then everybody takes something with them. From the How restaurant. did that go? Is she still alive? Um, I think she's still alive. Oh. Um, her kids didn't really like that idea, but she didn't much care. So yeah. <laughs> she'll be dead. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's her thing and it's her it's her so what happens with the tangible personal property as far as value goes with inheritance tax? So I would say for the most part so the county attorney <laughs> is the one who is kind of like represents the state, which is who gets the money, right? So, or the county. So uh, for stuff like, you know, the clothes in the closet and like the forks and spoons in the drawer, like they don't care about that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. It's more like the expensive stuff. So like if you think about a vehicle, if you have expensive artwork or expensive jewelry, that kind of stuff is what the county attorney really cares about. They don't care about like the lamp from Target that was twenty nine ninety nine. Like they don't care about that kind of stuff. But hmm. but the there could be some valuable stuff that they, flies under the radar. There could be. So don't. I don't want to know if there was. Tasha's <laughs> <laughs> by the books. I am belt and suspenders. <laughs> All right. So the four estate planning documents that you can't live without are the will, the durable power of attorney for healthcare, the financial power of attorney, and the memorandum of disposition of tangible personal property. Those are the four. 
Yeah. Those are the four important ones for like a basic estate plan. Yes. And that's, you know, we, I am a firm believer that estate planning is for everyone. And this type of plan, a basic estate plan is functional for any person and really will get them very far in terms of getting an estate plan together that will provide some clarity for their family. All right, you ready for the weird and wild questions from Google? Yes. 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 What are, all right. What is the strangest request that you've ever had for an estate plan? Okay, but this reminds me of the ashes. Like, oh, talk about yes. ashes. Yes, so we had a case one time where um, a person, so a person died and their spouse so they actually were going through a divorce at the time, but they didn't actually get divorced before the spouse died. So they were still married so, at the time of the death. Exactly. So you're not if if you're not actually divorced, there's no decree, then you're still a spouse for purposes of probate or you know the um, probate code. So um, the mother of the deceased spouse was throwing a fit that she should get the ashes, and the surviving spouse is saying I should get the ashes and there's actually I hadn't had an occasion to look this up before but there's actually a statute on it because this happened before right probably in 1905 right that specifically lays out the order of who gets the ashes and by consanguinity well it actually it was the spouse first but interestingly the legislature, when they wrote that statute, they carved out an exception. If there's a divorce decree on file at the time that one of the spouses dies, it skips over the divorce decree. Yeah, there's not a decree. <clears throat> oh, well, so there's if there's an, a divorce case open. A divorce case open. So yeah. they didn't actually. They get, hadn't had the decree yet. Right. So they didn't actually get divorced, but there was a divorce on file. Then the ashes statute says we're going to skip over the spouse and it goes to the kids. Yeah. So and they had children in this situation. Right. Yeah. So it still wasn't the mother. Yeah. But um. But yeah. But interestingly, in that statute, it also talks about how you can put in your will, which I've done this for some clients, you know, like how. Um, Specifically, you can name a custodian basically of your ashes. So you can say like, um, I want this person to get my ashes. So yeah. And of course, the funeral home is like, please stop calling us. Like we just, just tell us who to give it to. Like <laughs> they were like, we're not letting go of the ashes until we have a court order. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> All right, next. Can you leave money or tangible personal property to pets? So, so pets outnumber humans in my house now. That's so right. So this is interesting. Yes, and the short answer is yes. So I have set up trusts for pets before. And basically what it looks like is you're leaving a set amount of money to basically a custodian of the animals and then that money is to pay the custodian and then also to pay for the things that the animals need like vet bills and food and all that kind of stuff. There's a... There's an interesting story about a uh, billionaire. She was a tobacco heiress, I think, and she gave, she left like $12 million to her dog named Trouble. <laughs> and she disinherited a couple of her grandkids. And of course they were 
ticked off, right? Because they were thinking they got it made and now they don't get nothing. So they sued and they did a will contest Yes, to see if they could invalidate the will saying, well, clearly grandma was nuts. She had no capacity because she gave $12 million to a dog. And they ended up settling out of court. The The dog ended up getting $6 million. <laughs> And the grandkids got some money, but they had to pay all the legal fees. Wow. I can't imagine how much that bill was. I'm sure it was high, but um, I, I've never done a $12 million or a $6 million pet trust, but... Um, but yes, you can do it. Yes, you can. Sweet. Can people request to be buried with personal property? Ooh. I don't I don't see why not. Yeah. I, I've, I don't know that I've ever had that request in a, a will. Um, but I don't think, uh, barring some sort of like environmental problems, yeah. right? EPA type stuff. Um, I don't see that that would be a problem. Yeah. Sounds fine to me. What is the most eccentric post-mortem request you've had? I think, wh- when I think about the donating your body to science after death. Yes. Um, I remember, cause I dabbled in some estate planning in the beginning. Um, and someone asked, I want to, can I put this in the will, donate body to science? And there's like a separate form you have to fill out for whatever facility is going to do it. Um, but I was like, that's so cool. It's super interesting. I, I have had a couple of clients who've wanted to do that. And so we fill out the paperwork. Um, there's a lot of requirements. So like you have to be a certain weight. You have to be. They a won't s- just take any body. No, no. You have to be like. I feel like you have to kind of be like in superb shape a little bit. But I don't want us fatties. No. <laughs> you know what? So the body exhibits, have you ever seen those? Oh, yes. Those are like my favorite. Yeah. And anytime I'm anywhere that has one of them or the traveling ones, I think Las Vegas is is set. It stays there. Those are so fascinating. I'm like, ooh, I bet all these people donated their body to science. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's fascinating because a lot of those people like had some sort of disease or something like that that they can show. Yes. So all these bougie places are picky, huh? Yeah. No, you can't. You can't just give your they'll send it back. (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't want this. Return to sender. Bury it. Interestingly, the last one that I did, I think like the spouse had to agree or something, too. I can't remember what program that one was that she wanted to do, but. Her husband had to sign it also. Um, I've also had a couple of clients who've wanted green burials, so where they turn you into a tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I've had that. And then I did have one guy. Can I be turned into a dog in a spoiled household? That's Your own I, dog? Yeah. I, that's what, <laughs> but I guess that's, well, if you're going to be turned into a tree, that is reincarnation, right? That's true. That's true. I, I think he was joking mostly to get a rise out of his wife, but I had a guy one time ask me if he could put in his will that he could be shot out of a cannon. <laughs> his body? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And she said, I'm your executor, and I'm not doing that. <laughs> wow. All right, so that's a good eccentric postmortem request. Does the reading of a will happen at all as it does in the movies? Not really. So the answer is no, it does not. I mean, I've had... Nothing that happens in the movies, legally-wise, ever happens in real life. I can tell you that I have had... So I've been my 11th year of practice, and I have had one 
will reading that I feel like was similar to what you see in the movies. Oh. And we had, we did it because um, there was five children and there were differing percentages of dad's estate that went to the kids. And the executor, who wasn't the highest number, that he, he didn't receive the most. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, I think that the person who died, the dad, he was very thoughtful about who needed the most help in terms of where they each were at in life. And But of course, I was still a little nervous about it because you never know how people are gonna react. And, and there were some significant differences in the percentages, right? And so I talked to the executor and I said, well, let's just set a meeting. Everybody can come and I will just read the will. So we did that. And thankfully and appropriately, one of the kids who received the lower percentage number, he you know, thanked me for reading it. And he said, and nobody's going to have anything to say about it because that's what dad wanted. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. And I was like, thank you. Oh, <laughs> so it, it ended up being fine. But that was really the only time that I would say I had something similar to what's in But the, it wasn't the as dramatic as it is in the No, movies. and there was no like video or like letters for a year or nothing like that. Right. What is that movie? I don't know. With um He's beautiful though. Is it a Nicholas Sparks movie? No. That's what it sounds like. Uh is it Meg Ryan that's in that? I don't I know. Think. And Tom Hanks. I don't know. What is All right. This? Well you're gonna have to get back to us on that. <laughs> All right, so thank you for telling us about the four estate planning documents that you can't live without. Yes. Um, because I think it is really important that you don't need an estate to have an estate plan. So get on it. Exactly. Call us. Yeah. There's all kinds of tools out there for all kinds of plans. So. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. If you need help with any of the documents that we've talked about today or other estate planning tools, check out the show notes for our contact information. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast and be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rep Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.